What's up, everybody? Thanks so much for checking out the SCFYA podcast. SCFYA is the College and Young Adult Ministry of South Tampa Fellowship Church in Tampa, Florida. We meet every Monday night for the city, our weekly worship gathering. We are a family that's committed to following Jesus together in our city, and we would love for you to join us. For more information about how you can get involved, check us out on Instagram at STF underscore YA. Thanks for listening. Good evening. Uh, Thanks so much for being here tonight. My name is Chris, and I'm part of the team here uh, at STFYA. And tonight is going to be uh, a little bit different um, because instead of tonight kind of being one person up here talking for the duration of the time, uh, we are going to be having kind of a conversation tonight. We like to mix things up every few weeks and not just have someone monologue to you, and I was out of town a few weeks ago, and J. Mike used it as an opportunity to completely trash me and talk about how long I preach. So uh, I have Michaela up here tonight to make sure that we don't go long. And so give it up don't for Michaela, everybody. Um, Michaela is uh, the newest member of um, STFYA and our team here, uh, our staff here at the church. And um, you know, the, the funny thing about Michaela is when she came on staff, she said, "Chris, I'll, I'll do literally anything. I love this ministry. I love this church." Um, I will not get on stage. Um, I think the first week on staff, we had her up here doing announcements, and now we're three yeah, months in. If you in were here, I'm sorry. I just yeah. totally blanked on the words, and it, it happens, happened. You know? uh, well, three months later, here we are, and she's up on stage, and we're opening up God's Word and teaching together. So give it up for Michaela, guys. <laughs> Michaela, a lot of us know you. Some of us do not. But just give us, like, three facts about you right now. Go. Yeah, yeah. We'll start light. So I am an older sister to um, a woman named Marina. And cool. she's, she's, hey, Marina, if you're she's listening a online. year and a month younger than I am, so we're pretty close. And then we both grew up in Pensacola, Florida, so up in that panhandle area, pretty much Alabama. And cranking it up a little bit, I was also in a Disney movie. Not, not many people know about that, but yeah. A Disney, like a Disney movie yeah, or a Disney, Disney Channel Disney original? Cha- yeah, that. A Disney Channel original? original? Movie. yep. That changes everything. <laughs> Hold on, wait a second, what were you in? Okay, so... First off, do you know Kenny Ortega? He was the, like, chore- yeah, yeah. He was choreographer for High School Musical. Couldn't so if you know, you. like, all the dances, yeah. I met him. He's, he's very kind. Um, but I was in one called The Invisible Sister, and it is truly horrible. Do I've never heard of it, it, which means it probably is really bad. I've never watched it all the way through. I yeah. always stop. It's yeah. just not Best good. Disney Channel original movie ever, Smart House. Don't at me on that. Mm. Don't at me on that. Okay, so wait, you were in it? You were, yeah. what were you, like an extra stunt, stunt double? Stunt double. Stunt double? Mm-hmm. Yeah, lacrosse. We have an athlete up here. Lacrosse stunt double, yep. <laughs> Zeke Johnson loves this movie, just so you guys know. Oh, I'm yeah, sure loves Zeke it. Johnson loves this movie. Yep. Wow, okay, well that could sidetrack our night, but let's stay focused. Um, okay, Pensacola, Florida. Yep. Okay, which means you have, um, uh, okay, I was born in Ohio. Okay. I moved here when I was in middle school. I was exposed to something that you are probably used to in Florida, which is hurricanes. Any just Florida people in the house? You grew up in Florida, you experienced the hurricanes? Yeah. I've noticed when it comes to hurricanes, there's two types of families. There's the prepper families and there's the hurricane party families. You know what I'm talking about? Uh Which one were you guys? Okay, so a little bit of both. So my sister and mom were definitely the partiers. They they were the ones who got like ice cream, even though if the power goes out, it would go bad. I don't know why they did that. Um, Flavored milk. When there'd be the eye of the storm, they'd go out to the beach and party out there. So (laughs) they were the ones like, if the street flooded, they were like kayaking down it. And then my dad and I were the ones who were like, 
as soon as they told us about the storm, we were at Lowe's getting sandbags. Oh, so wow. two very different sides of the family, um, the preppers and the partiers. Wow. Made for a great time. Oh, yeah. wow. That's, what uh, about your family? Preppers, partiers? Uh, okay, so when we moved to Florida, 100% the preppers. Like, we're from Ohio. Like, we've seen snow. We've watched these things on TV called hurricanes, and we hear one, and we're like, oh, my gosh, right? So, like, that first summer... Like, I think it was like 2005, if any of you remember Tampa area, 2005, we had like 12 hurricanes in that one. So we were like legit, like all in, prepping, yada, yada, yada. But like after that, like I'm just, we became the party people. Like yeah. we became the ones that like would go out, like same thing you said. Um, I will tell you, for me personally, all that changed when I bought my own house. Sure, yeah, you have your family to protect, all that. that yes. Um, so when Rachel and I bought our first house, we had had the house for a couple months, and a hurricane was coming through, yeah. right? And it's the same old, same old. It's going to be the worst thing ever, right? You know, hide your kids, hide your wife, that kind of thing, right? <laughs> and uh, I'm just like, whatever, very nonchalant about it. And then like the, like, like the week, you know, it's like supposed to hit, I'm like, you know what? If like things break, I'm the one paying for mm -hmm. them. Like, it's not my dad, it's me. Yep. So I like on Thursday, it was supposed to hit like on a Saturday. On Thursday, I decided, okay, I'm going to go to Lowe's. I'm going to get some like, you know, wood, some plywood. Toilet and I'm gonna, paper. Yes, all the good yeah, things, right? Uh, I go to Lowe's to get wood. There's literally no wood left in Lowe's. Like, people are buying fences to put over their, like, windows. It's completely sold out. I'm not, it's not a joke. I'm driving home, like, how am I going to protect my windows? And I see a spare scraps of wood on the side of a road in an abandoned shopping plaza in Land O'Lakes. You've never been there, so don't judge it. But that's basically Land O'Lakes for you. Spare wood all over. I grab it, throw it in my car. I drill it into, you know, my house, whatever, got that. And then I'm like, okay, I need some sandbags, right? Like I got to, like water's going to obviously be gushing into my house. I got to get sandbags somewhere. I go to the place to get the sandbags. They're out of sand, but they have the bags. I was like, okay, this is helpful. Um, I get a bunch of bags and me and my friend, we drive around Tampa looking for like random patches of dirt. We find one. We fill this thing up. Like, no, like he, 30... he told me earlier, it was a baseball field. He went and got sand from a baseball field. <laughs> we found dirt, okay? Like, if Tampa's going under, this field's not playing on Saturday. So we go there. We, we fill it up. Anyways, I block every door of my house with, yep. like, 10 sandbags. Like, I am just grinding, right? We leave. We go to my mom and dad's house because they've got two stories higher ground. I don't know. And so we spend the night there. We wake up the next morning, and this is the damage that was basically done. He shows this picture real quick that. Yeah, that one right there. Um, and I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I was, I was so mad. I'm sorry, yeah. I was so mad, one, that I spent two days driving around Tampa trying to find things to barricade and close the doors and block them and all this kind of stuff. And then, yeah. like, I do it all, and it's, com it's completely pointless. Yeah, it makes you not want to do it the next time. Literally never want to do it again, yeah. right? Incredibly, incredibly frustrated. Did all this barricading, like, ridiculous. Um, and, like, I was thinking about tonight, and if, like, this idea, right, of just going out, working hard, barricading, shutting these doors, like, blocking them, making sure nothing, like, gets in, like, I feel like that's, like, the frustration I had after the fact, mm -hmm. that all of it was pointless. I kind of feel like that's how a lot of us feel when it comes to, like, shutting the door on, like, sin in our life. Yeah. So, like, like, we've all had those moments, right, where we, 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 we knew there was, like, an unhealthy relationship. There was, like, an addiction. There was, like, some kind of pattern in our life that we needed to, like, shut the door on, like, slam it shut, close it, barricade it, block it, all that kind of stuff. And for some reason or another, we just, like, don't do it. 
yeah. kind of like for me, like I never like blocking my doors, mm-hmm. never barricading them for like a hurricane kind of thing. Um, and like we know we needed to shut it. We know we need to barricade it. We know we need to block it. But um, like we just haven't. And mm-hmm. maybe we left it wide open. Maybe we like left it like cracked mm-hmm. when we should have like shut it and locked it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I was just like thinking about that. And I was thinking about just like that, uh, that concept of like leaving the door open to like sin, to toxicity, mm-hmm. to brokenness in our life. And like, I don't know, like, I, why do you think we do that? Yeah, I feel like, I feel like everyone in this room can relate to the fact that sometimes it's hard to trust God to meet those needs that we have. I think, mm. um, we all have desires and our desires are to have needs met. Mm. And I think, it is just hard. I feel like it boils down to like a lack of trust in God. Okay, so explain that a little bit more. Yeah, so I think we all have desires to have our needs met. Okay. And the sin enters our life when we try to meet those needs outside of God. So it means that if we don't trust him and He, we feel like he can't or won't meet our needs, then we turn to other things to meet those needs. Okay, so like, so we all have needs we want met. And when we look to something else other than God to meet those mm-hmm. needs, that's when things go yep. off the rails. Yeah. So, like, I know in my life I have had, like, like when I haven't trusted God to meet my need to be loved, mm-hmm. I have found myself, like, turning to, like, relationships. Kind of yeah. like that. That's, like, kind of the concept, right? Yeah, for sure. Like, um, like intimacy, right? Like, like, longing for closeness, being fully known and fully loved, mm-hmm. like, you can turn to a person. You can turn to sex for that. You can turn to, like, you know, like, yeah. whatever there. Another example in my life would be, like, I feel like I crave control of mm-hmm. my life. So when I don't trust God for that stability that I desire and need, I turn inward, and I feel like I can control it myself. So I feel like that's another example. Like control kind yeah. of thing? Yeah. So, like, like, the irony, though, is that for me, when I run to something else that's not God to satisfy desires that I have. Mm-hmm. I'm running to something else because I think that if I run to God, I'll be empty. Yeah. Right? Like if I run to God for me to be like satisfied when it comes to like love, right? Yeah. I'm not feeling like he can come through completely, so I'm running to something else. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm afraid that if I go to God, I'm going to be left empty, left wanting. Yeah. The irony though in my life is that like I find myself still empty. Yeah. Even when I don't like when I run to other things yeah. to avoid being empty from God. It's like this like catch twenty yeah. two type why, type why thing. Why are we still empty? For me, like I just think it's like I mean, it's to go back to what we were saying earlier. It's 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 like that door that's supposed to be shut mm-hmm. is being is being left open, right? Yeah. And, and maybe you've been there. Like maybe you've been in a spot where you've had something like there's this desire you've had in your life, right, to be successful, to be wanted, to be loved. Uh, to, ha- to be like, um, like, you know, I use the word control, but I think ultimately what we're longing for there is like stability, to yeah. have stability in our life. Like these God-given desires that when we seek to meet them in an ungodly way, that's when we get like pain brought into our life. That's when we still wind up empty, right? Um, and and I, that's one of the reasons why I've loved this series we've been in the past few weeks is because um, we've been reading about these churches in, in Revelation, um, these churches that were like written to in like the Bible, it's let's be honest, it's it's got some confusing stuff in it, and it, sure. it's written a long time ago, so it can feel so archaic, so backward, so like you know, like okay, this was them. Like it's not relatable to us. Yes, at all. but I think that like 
tonight, as we look at this church tonight in Revelation mm -hmm. chapter 2, mm -hmm. there is a really big connection that we share with them. Yeah. Because I think just like us, they're looking to have their needs met in an ungodly way. And in doing so, they're just leaving the door open. Yeah, for sure. For like sin to kind of enter into their life. So Revelation chapter 2 is where we're going to be tonight. We're going to be reading in verse uh, 12 to start out with. And um, kind of the way that I think probably the best way to go about this is kind of just work through this passage together. Yeah. Like and just kind of like have yeah. like, you know, open kind of Bible study here or whatever. Yeah. So some of you may know this. I am currently in seminary, and I started in January. So still learning a lot, especially about historical context. And as you guys have probably picked up if you've been here before, Chris is a big history nerd. Thanks. For so that. I figured I could go ahead and read, and then as we go along, I can just ask you clarifying questions. Does that sound good? For the for this passage? Yeah. Okay. Wait, okay, cool. before you start, this week, this is how little I know, and I'm still in seminary and have gone to church since I can remember. I walked in, so Chris and I work upstairs in this building, and we have offices across the hall from each other, and anytime I have a question, I get up and run in his office, and so I was, I was going through a Bible study this week, and I was just horribly confused, because I was like, Saul is Paul, but Saul killed himself before he became Paul, and I was just like, I spent like 20 minutes trying to figure it out, and I was just, I walked in Chris's office, and I was like, I don't get it. Is he a ghost? I don't, I don't understand how this is happening. And he was like, Michaela, there's two Saul's. You're, you're reading the Old Testament. There's also a New Testament. And I was like, great. I have a lot to learn. So go ahead. Yeah, I'll have, listen, I'll have lots of questions for you. No, listen, that's called humility right there because there's a lot of us that wouldn't admit when we have questions about the Bible. So, lots of questions. Um, okay, so Revelation chapter 2, uh, we're going to be jumping into verse 12. Uh, and it says this. Um, it says, write to the angel... Wait, I'm just kidding. Oh, I was like, wow. <laughs> right. <laughs> Here's what that means. Okay. Write to the angel of the church in Pergamum. Thus says the one who has the sharp and double-edged sword. Yeah. Okay. Let, I think we should go ahead and stop Okay. There. That's fine. So Pergamum. This is our third letter. And if you've been here for the series, you know that we're reading. We just got a letter. Oh, my gosh. You guys need to go check out that. Yeah. If you haven't been on our Instagram, there's a really cute video of J. Mike on there. So go check it out. <laughs> really cute. Really cute. Um. Yeah. Sorry, aside. I just messed you up there. <laughs> so Pergamum, we know that in Revelation, um, the first couple chapters is going over seven letters to seven churches in seven cities. So this is the third one in that series, and it's to a city called Pergamum at the church there. And so as I was doing some research preparing for this, I saw something in one of the, he has like a million textbooks in his office, and he's read every single one. And so I went in and grabbed everything that said Revelation or Pergamum, and I came out with like a huge stack. And in one of those books, it said um, that if Ephesus, which was the first letter we read that J. Mike went over, if that was modern day New York City, then Pergamum was the equivalent of like Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. So it was like kind of the capital. Yeah. Um, and then I also read that it was like elevation wise, it was it was higher than most, like it was above sea, sea level by quite a bit. So it was also yep. like kind of like a city on a hill that people looked up to because it had a lot of power. Yeah. So other than that, what else do you think we should know before we move on? Yeah, no, well, the, the whole like New York City versus like Washington DC is a good like comparison because, so in Pergamum, there was this thing called the proconsul and they existed there and they were like a judiciary body. Um, and the best comparison to like today is like our Supreme Court. They were the highest court in the land. Um, remember, like um, the um, uh, Rome is a republic, right? And so they've got like some kind of like 
aspects of democracy as we know them today. So this like proconsul, they kind of decided big cases, right? It was a big uh, like governing judicial city, but another huge um, like like uh, thing about them that made them unique was that Rome had given Pergamum, the city, the ability and uh, to exercise capital punishment. Okay. So. We talked last week, if you were here last week, we talked about persecution, and uh, we, we talked at the very end about a guy um, who was uh, a pastor in the church in um, Smyrna who was martyred. He was killed because of his relationship with Jesus. He was executed. The execution we read about mm-hmm. took place in Pergamum. Oh, like, that was okay. in only like 50 miles away, right? So you would go there if, like, that was kind of, yeah. you know, whatever. So this idea... Like, even as he says at the beginning, this idea of, like, a mm-hmm. double-edged sword, it's kind of, like, con- like denoting, like, that kind yeah. of a vibe. Mm-hmm. This idea of, like, ruling and reigning, and that we get to, like, even deeper into that mm-hmm. in that next verse where he says, I know where you live, where Satan's throne is, yet you are holding on to my name and did not deny your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death among you, where Satan lives. Yeah, so even just in, in that, it talks about how... He knows where we live, or where they live, where Satan has his throne. But then it also later it talks about, um, like I feel like, and then it says where Satan lives again. So I feel like that's something that is tr- definitely trying to be explained here. So what does it mean, like Satan lives here? Okay, so good question. Um, okay, so what's first thing? What's interesting is that word "live." I know where you live. Um, in Greek, uh, there's two different ways in Greek, which is what the New Testament where Revelation is written in. Um, two different ways to talk about living or dwelling somewhere. Yeah, it says dwelling in some. Okay, yeah. So, like, two different ways. One of them is, like, passing through. The other is, like, where you make your, like, permanent, like, mm-hmm. residence you're never leaving. Yeah, so, like, temporary versus... Yeah. Permanent, yeah. That makes sense. This is talking about, like, a permanent place. So what's permanently here? Hmm. What's permanently here is what he's calling Satan's throne. Now, when we think Satan, we think like pitchfork and, you know, yeah. spandex and, you know, like whatever. That's what well, we I think. don't. You might. <laughs> well, I don't know. Um, <laughs> gosh. <laughs> um, here's, that's not who Satan is, and that's not who I think he is either. <laughs> um, Satan is a... He's an evil spiritual being who exists in an unseen realm. And you're like, that sounds weird. Like, I believe in the physical world. Okay, yeah, you do believe in the physical world, but you and I all know that we're more than just the physical part of who we are. Screw tape letters. Screw tape letters. There you go. Shout out that. C.S. Lewis, right? Like, there is an immaterial aspect to our world, and that's where, like, Mm -hmm. Satan rules and reigns. And he rules and reigns through the use of lies. Yeah. Okay? John 8, Jesus says that he's the father of lies. When he speaks, deception is Mm -hmm. like his native tongue. So to say that Satan lives there is not to say that this is literally the physical residence of Satan. Okay. The, the idea of it being like his throne is the big mm-hmm. point there. Is it like this city where there's ruling and reigning happening, okay. right? This like yeah. proconsul, this you know, judiciary body is here. What you as a Christian in Pergamum see as the world around you just operating as normal God is saying, no, no, that's actually the enemy at work in your midst. Mm. That's where you are. And what I love here is that he's encouraging to them. Yeah, it's the beginning of the letter. It's, I mean, it, it says, I know where you live, yeah. yet you remain true to my name. He's like, yeah, I know. It's yeah. like, he's, li- he's literally like, listen, I, I know how hard it is yeah. to be where you are. 
Like Satan is ruling and reigning here through these people who are here and the lies that he's feeding them, and you're remaining faithful. In fact, there's this guy named Antipas who we don't really know much about him other than that he was someone who was faithful to Jesus and he was killed because of that, right? Yeah. And so he gives them this encouragement. But unlike Smyrna, who only ever got encouragement, mm-hmm. like there is some, if you want to call it, frustration from yeah. Jesus towards the church in Pergamum mm-hmm. because there, there, are, there are things they're doing by living faithfully, but there's also ways in which they're, like, they're yeah. falling short. And he says in verse 14, I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught, who taught Balak to place a stumbling block in front of the Israelites, to eat meat sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. In the same way, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans, so repent. Otherwise, I'll come to you quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Yeah, so let's, let's break this down a little bit, because if you're anything like me, I had no idea who most of the people in here were. So <laughs> I don't even know how to pronounce it. Balaam? Yes. And Balak? Yep. Nice. Sounds good. Okay, so who are those? Okay. I've, heard their, I've definitely heard of both of them in the Old Testament. Okay. Um, so I think we're throwing it back to there. Um, yeah. And then Nicolaitans, I've never heard of them. Okay. So good if thought. you could break that down a little bit. Let's start with Nicolaitans. Okay. okay, so Nicolaitans, obviously it's a group of people. We don't know a ton about them. There's not like a, um, you know, Nicolaitan Bible you can go buy at Barnes & Noble today. Like, we don't know much about them. Based on the context, though, and we'll get to why we think this in a minute, here's what we do know. We know that they were Christians who took the idea and theology of Christian freedom mm-hmm. too far. What I mean by that is, um, you know, we, we, we have heard, and like Paul talks about it, like we've heard we are saved by grace, right? Not because of what you've done. Like you are not saved by Jesus because of what you've done for Jesus. It's because of what Jesus has done for you. That's the beautiful thing of the gospel, right? If you grew up thinking I've got to perform for God to get God to love me, that's a lie. You don't got to do that. The problem though is when you take that fact, mm-hmm. that you are loved because of who God is and what he's done for you, not because of what you've done for him or, what, or who you are. When you take that, and then you say, well, because God loves me no matter what, I'm going to do whatever I want. Mm, okay. So it's like, okay, like God loves me, so I'm going to do this. God loves me, oh, so I can do that. God loves me, so I'm not going to take holiness seriously. Uh, I'm not going to take following Jesus seriously because yeah. God loves me no matter what. Yeah. Now, God loves you no matter what. Um, but my wife loves me no matter what. We made a covenant of marriage. So if I go cheat on her every day, what am I communicating to her? Mm. I'm not communicating that her love is invaluable. Yeah. I'm communicating that my love for her is artificial. That's what the Nicolaitans were doing, and we see that because it says that they were holding to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak. Now, you're right. Balaam, Old Testament, Numbers 22, 23, 24, and 25 is where you can read about him. Um, so a person, not a group of people. Balaam is, okay. a, is a person, yes. Uh, the best way to describe Balaam is he's, he's like a wizard. I'm not even joking. You guys think the Bible's boring. It is not. Now, I'm not like talking Dumbledore wizard, right? Maybe like sure. sorcerer is yeah. a better way. He had the ability, like if you look at like the old language, like the, the way he's called a diviner. Okay. okay? Um, he had the, an ability to manipulate an unseen world, right? Now, he wasn't speaking on behalf of God. He did not know the one true God. So if he was communicating with something, it was not a good something, right? Probably more like demonic, yeah. right? And so uh, Balak, mm-hmm. right? So two Bs, right? Balaam, wizard. Balak, king. Way to remember it. Balak, K at the end. He's a king. There we go. Um, so Balak is the king of Moab. Uh, it's this other nation, and Israel's coming in, and Balak's like, I want to defeat these people, right? I don't want them to come and take over my nation. I want to take over their nation. 
Um, so he goes to Balaam and says, hey, you can speak to the spirits, yada, yada. I want you to curse them. Put a curse on them so that, like, they can't like mess with me. And Balaam goes and starts to do his little you know, voodoo mama juju stuff. And like, whatever, it starts to happen. And then God, like the one true God shows up and is like, yo, Balaam, uh, these are my people. You cannot curse them. Like you can't do it. And Balaam was like, oh, shoot, okay. So he goes back to Balak and's like, I can't curse them. Like, I don't know what you can do. And Balak's like, well, I've got to do something. And he's like, well, if you want to defeat them, here's what you need to get Israel to do. Get Israel to compromise. Like, cursing them is not the answer for defeating them. Just get them to compromise on what they believe about God and enter into your culture and there'll be no threat to you. And we saw that. Like, what began to happen is they began to, like, uh, the Israelite people began to, just like in Pergamum, eat meat that was sacrificed to idols, and they began to participate in sexual immorality in these, like, pagan, like, like sex, like, like, temples and that kind of a thing. So that's kind of what's going on there with, like, Balaam and Balak. Okay. Okay. Does that make sense? So at the beginning, you said that we could relate to them. And my final question is, when I go to Emily and Garrett's house and they're making me, like, a, a nice cooked meal, never have they ever sacrificed it to an idol. So <laughs> let me know how it relates to us. Well, obviously, Today. you do something than the boys do when we all hang out because the meat we have. No, I'm kidding. Um, okay, yes. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. Okay, so remember last week we talked about persecution being pressure? Mm-hmm. So the Pergamum Christians, they were experiencing pressure, right, we said, to have their God-given needs met in an ungodly way. Mm-hmm. What does that have to do with, like, me being sacrificed to idols? Well, the needs that they were trying to get satisfied, that we know from this text, where their need to be accepted, their need to be loved. Okay, okay so let me explain. Um, meat, eating meat that was sacrificed to an idol um, was only done during like an important meal. So in this, basically in this time period, what would happen is you, as like a good showing to the gods, you'd bring like a, a cow or, or something like that to the temple, you'd sacrifice it to a god, they'd, you know, cut it up, get it all into, like, meat or whatever, they'd go and they'd sell it in the market, and then when you would buy that meat in the market, not only were you, like, helping the business of the god, right, because you're giving them money or whatever, but then you're receiving the blessing of that god through the meat that you eat. So you wouldn't, like, just whip that out for, like, a Tuesday night dinner. Like, this was, like, the A5 Wagyu steak that you would bring out for, like, the really, like, this is, like, the prime rib, right, for, like, Christmas time. Like, that's what's going on here. And so... Could you briefly go over, like, what kind of gods were, like, what what they were sacrificing to? So in, yes, that's a good question. So in Pergamum, you had a few different gods. You had Zeus. You had a throne there. Like, it was called, it's called the throne of Zeus. It's like a temple there. So Zeus, Zeus, big, he's the main guy, right? Um, and so, um, Hercules, yeah, you know? yeah, Hercules, we've seen that movie. I had not seen it until like a he's year big. ago. He's big in that movie. Yeah, Hercules he is. is like yeah. So, or he's not. Yeah. <laughs> anyways. Um, so <laughs> gosh. Um, so anyways, you have, uh, you have him, you have Dionysius. She is the goddess. Uh, she's the goddess <laughs> of fertility. Um, so the way that you practiced and worshiped her was by having sex with prostitutes like mm-hmm. that were at her temple. Um, you had a, uh, another God and, uh, he was the God of healing. Um, and so in fact, there was almost like this like hospital type thing that was there, but it was not like a, it was not like an actual hospital, like a place where you, no, no, it was like unique to this place. Right. So think about that. Like in those things, you're getting meat that's been sacrificed to the main God, Zeus, right. Mm. To the sex God, right. Dionysius and to like the healing God. Mm. Those are pretty good things to, like, yeah. get covered in your life by mm-hmm. eating this meat. So 
meat sacrificed to idols. You're only eating that at like important things, business centers, religious festivals, um, family get-togethers. So what does that have to do with acceptance, love? Like, what does that have to do? How awkward is it if you show up at the dinner party and you refuse to eat? Like, if you're gluten-free, like, like you're you show up to your girlfriend's house and her dad puts a prime rib that he smoked on his big green egg all afternoon and you look at him and go, I'm vegan, bro. I can't. Mm. Like, what's it going to, like, oh, I can't eat that. I'm a Christian. Bro, we're trying to close this deal. Like, you got, like, sorry, like, I can't eat. Like, you're going to eat the meat. <laughs> like, yeah. that's what's going on here. It's not about, like, yes, none of us have, I don't think anybody in this room, and if you do, like, let's get coffee. I'd love to literally get to know you if you struggle with eating meat sacrificed to idols. Um, <laughs> but here's what all of us do struggle with. And this is, like, I think, like, the connector. We all struggle with doing things, like, minimizing holiness, compromising so that we can be accepted. Like for like you, like honestly, I'll put you on the spot. Like, like, have you, like, do you find yourself or have you found yourself compromising to be accepted? Yeah. When you were talking, I was actually thinking back um, to an example. And I feel like, so basically what you're getting at is like, because you didn't do, or you did do this certain thing, you're compromising so that you're not being outcast socially. Yeah. Like you're you're, included by eating this food. You're saying I worship this God too. Okay. To say that I'm not going to eat this is to say I don't worship that God, and that's going to make things very awkward for the social circles that you're in. Yeah, so one of the social circles I was in in college was my sorority. I went to University of Florida, and and there, there, um, there was, like, easy access to, like, alcohol, fake IDs, all that, drugs, if you wanted, not my thing. But um, so basically... I think when you were talking, I was thinking about it, and I was um, I was thinking back to, so I was, the grade I was in, everybody was technically like a year older than me, mm-hmm. so when everyone was turning 21, I was turning 20, and I felt like I wasn't able to like be present um, and hang out with the friends that I wanted to hang out with and do the things I wanted to do, so instead of um, like staying true to my morals and what I was doing, I ended up getting a fake ID really easily from one of my sorority sisters, which which was a decision I made. And I feel like in that, I was compromising just so that I could be socially accepted by my friends when I could have just waited a year and stuck mm. to what I, like, what I actually believed and what I thought was morally mm. correct. Well, I think, and that's the key, is like, it's, it's your motivation behind doing things. Because mm-hmm. if you make decisions to please people on things that are not, like, sinful, yeah. and not that we're promoting underage drinking, I'm not saying that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you, like, okay, like. And, like, I'd make that decision, and on the outside, it didn't seem like much because everyone else around me was doing yeah. it. But, like, speaking from experience, I feel like when you're doing stuff you know you don't agree with and that God doesn't agree with, or agree with, I feel like you, like, it didn't help. I would always come home feeling guilty. Yeah. Well, it's like, because it's like what's motivating you. What's motivating you is pleasing people. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't just start with like getting a fake and going out. It's like, well, what am I going to do once I'm out? And what, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just like this, this like endless cycle. If you're, if you're making decisions to please people, Mm -hmm. you're going to find yourself always going farther than you wanted to go because you're going to realize that people are never satisfied because you're never satisfied with the people who are satisfied with you. Yeah. Like, you're you're gonna find yourself talking to your boss a certain way because it gives you clout with him. Yeah. Even even though like 
it's you might be trashing your coworkers like by the, by the way that you talk with them, right? Like yeah. you are gonna find yourself like sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend, and even though you might want to stop, not stopping because if you stop, the relationship might end. So like, mm-hmm. I want to do this to be accepted, yeah. right? Or like maybe it's your money. Like I'm gonna spend my money however I want on whatever I want because like when I have this pair of shoes or like this clothes, like whatever it might yeah. be, like that like again. If you're making decisions to be accepted, that's when you're like down a slippery slope. And I think that's what we have in common with this church yeah, and these Christians who are in Pergamum. Yeah, I shape or form. I think you just have to like do some deep digging and figure out where you are making yeah. that door open. And exactly. And you are like sacrificing your morals. Yes. So they are eating meat sacrificed to idols. We're not doing that. But they're doing it because they want to be accepted. We all do plenty of things because we want to be accepted as well. Yep. That's, the, that's that piece, okay? Yep. The second piece is, like, they're also making decisions because they have a need to be loved, okay. but they're looking to satisfy that need to be loved somewhere, somewhere other than God. So is this where – so there was two things that they were doing, and it was eating meat to sacri- – like, sacrifice meat to idols, and then there was sexual immorality. Is that where it comes into play? That's the love part, yes. Mm. I feel like we've been talking about sex a lot. We do talk about sex a lot because we want to control everybody's sex life. We figured out our agenda. Um, Wait till next week. Wait till next week, yeah. Michael, have fun with Thyatira. Um, so, okay, that's a good point. Why are we talking? I'll say this. You'll probably hear me mention sex in every message that I preach, even if we're not preaching a message on sex. Why is that? Um, because sex is the primary way we communicate and experience love. And why do we want to communicate and experience love? Because we want what love gives us, and that's intimacy. So what's intimacy? Intimacy is being fully known and being fully loved. Right? That's intimacy. Someone knows everything about you, and they still choose you. Why does sex communicate that? Because, I mean, literally, it's the fullest expression of how you can know somebody here on this earth. So why do we talk about it? Because we're all looking for intimacy somewhere. We'll naturally look for that in sex, whether it's in a relationship or through porn or something like that. And, and here's the trouble. When you look for intimacy outside of God's design, you don't get intimacy in return. You get instant gratification that masquerades itself as intimacy. Like, it feels really good when you hook up with that person. You're instantly gratified. But did you experience intimacy with them? Were you fully known and fully loved, actually? Instant gratification is really, really tricky because it can, it can manipulate your thinking and make you, make you assume, oh, I, I, I am loved right now. And like, that, that's, what's, that's what's going on with, with these people in Pergamum. Like, they're going to these, like, this temple, mm-hmm. right, where they, I mean, they literally can go on their lunch break, have sex with, like, a temple prostitute, come home. And it's not even frowned upon in their culture. Like, like their wife cannot get mad at them because they were there worshiping. Like, that's the way that their culture works. So, like, if they've got a desire and they want it met, boom, I can get it met. Mm-hmm. Same thing that happened in the Old Testament with the people of Israel. Mm-hmm. The reason why, like, we talk about it a lot. The reason why I think that Jesus brings it up to them is that, like, what feels good and seems good initially, it always leaves us wanting more. It goes back to what we said earlier. 
we don't go to God and we don't listen to God because we think that by going to him and listening to him, it's going to leave us empty. But we still wind up empty by doing things our own way. Mm-hmm. So it's like we're trying to be happy, so we look for it in sex. Or I mean, again, like, and we've sexualized intimacy. Like, that's not all the intimacy is. It's not all sex. But, like, we look for it in that. Mm-hmm. And then we, because we assume I can't find that in God. Yeah. Yeah. So when... When we were talking and trying to piece together what this message was going to look like, you actually shared a quote with me that I thought was really good. So it says, sin is an unwillingness to trust that God wants, what God wants for us is anything other than our deepest happiness. And that was by Ignatius of Loyola. So in other words, this is saying that we don't, we're not willing to trust that God sees or cares our longing for intimacy. Mm. So naturally, if we're not, if we don't believe that our God wants that for us, then we're going to run elsewhere. Mm. Um, So this is kind of like the connector piece. Um, He wants to satisfy our longing for intimacy. And that's a, that's a desire that all of us have. Um, So how do we shut the door on sin? How do we trust him to meet our needs? Mm. Well, because I think that's the thing is like, like what we said earlier about the doors, right? Mm -hmm. We leave especially when it comes to intimacy in our life, we, we leave that door, like, cracked. Yeah. It's like, oh, we get the illusion that it's been shut, especially if you mm-hmm. grew up in church, like, and you know how to, like, play church. Yeah. Like, you know what to say. And you know how to, like, yeah. even in your accountability group, it's like, oh, I've been struggling or, like, whatever. Like, like we know how to, like, leave it just cracked enough. Yeah, and right? I feel like also if you don't – we talked about this earlier today. Like, if you don't board it up and, like, get accountability there, like, you yeah. can always open – closed doors too. No, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, so ultimately it's like, we leave this door cracked Mm -hmm. because we're not trusting that God can like, if I shut this door, I'm not trusting that God's going to actually satisfy me. Yeah. So it's like, okay, well, like, instead of being like, all right, well, that's what you're doing. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. Do better. I love how he ends this because he actually turns the corner. He goes from like, like, Hey, I'm going to commend you for what you're doing. Well, you're being faithful in this Mm -hmm. throne of city of Satan, whatever throne of Satan's there. Here's what I have against you. Mm -hmm. And then here's what I want you to really run run away with. Here's what I want you to walk away with. Because, like, there is hope if you're trying to find your needs met somewhere else. He says in verse 17, let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. And, by the way, we're going to see that line all throughout these. If you haven't picked up on it already, the next four are the same way. Jesus is always going to have that line. Whoever has ears to hear, let him listen. Let Let him hear what the Spirit says. Because he's assuming that not everyone there is listening. Because no matter what room you're in, like, there can be things that God says to go in one ear and go out the other. There's a difference between hearing it, right, and yeah. listening to it. Yep. So what do I need to listen to? <clears throat> to the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. Hmm. I will also give him a white stone and on the stone a new name that is inscribed on it that no one knows except the one who receives it. And that's the end of it. That's the last thing he says. Yeah. So I feel like even earlier in the letter, it was talking, I feel like it had the word some a lot. In, like where throughout. it says, I will give some. Yes. The and then manner. earlier it was talking about how not everyone in the church was committing these sins, but some of yeah, them Yeah. Some of you who are holding the teaching of Balaam. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like the meaning of some, we have to realize that not everyone was doing it. But just because yeah. that number of people who were doing those sins and committing those sins was small, the damage was great enough to where Jesus spoke to them directly. Like, so the church itself, it's not like it's rampant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yep. like literally like just some of you are doing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Which is interesting because it's not like they had like full-fledged embraced it. Yeah, they haven't embraced it, but they also weren't fully closing that door either. And I feel like that's kind of where we fall a lot of times. Like flirting with it. Yeah, you flirt with it. And I feel like it was their, they were losing their ability to say no to the culture around them, mm. which I feel like is oftentimes how I feel. Like sometimes I, I just forget how to say no. I feel like I've flirted with sin so long that you forget or you choose to forget what your morals are, and mm. you, I feel like you end up sacrificing that. Okay, and I think that, and that's that's huge because it's twofold for us. Mm -hmm. One, like in a community like this, um, like our decisions affect each other. Yeah, absolutely. They obviously affect each other if like we sin against each other and we mm -hmm. hurt one another, but they also affect each other because like, I mean, the reality is like we send a mixed message to the world. Yeah. If we like or like, you know, and I think that for like a lot of us, myself included, I, I've always been the person, I mean, there was a time before I knew Jesus, like I was an atheist and I just didn't care. But then like once I came to Jesus and started mm -hmm. to live for him and try, try my best to, mm -hmm. I didn't like bold face, like, I, I don't care what God says about this. I'm just gonna leave the store open. I just yeah. definitely live with like that crack. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think that like, you know, one of the things I love about this is that like every passage of these churches, the mm -hmm. seven churches, Jesus is talked about in a different way. Mm -hmm. So, like, last week he's the one, and, and, you know, in Smyrna, he's the one who died and rose from the dead. Yeah, they were uniquely written for each, like, each yeah. person. So let me ask you a seminary question for you. Mm -hmm. um, here he said that he wields a double-edged sword. Okay. Jesus does. Mm -hmm. What's that mean? What does it mean to me? When yeah, I think well, I mean, like, like why sword? do you think, no, like, why do you think that, like, like, why do you think he uses this double-edged sword imagery? Yeah, so I feel like swords... Okay, so when you think of sword, you think of war, you think of battles, you think of... Well, back in that day, it was the way you fought with people. It was yeah. the way you conquered things. It was the way you conquered cities. So I feel like the way it's talking about, I feel like you have to throw it back to... Or I guess there's lots of verses in the Bible that do talk about like the sword of God. Um, and then if you fast forward to Revelation 19, it, mm -hmm. it also talks about in um, Revelation 19, 15, it says a, a sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. That's Jesus. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. yeah. So I feel like when it's talking about the sword of God, it's talking about um, how his words will be the way he speaks to people and how he conquers mm. evil. I feel mm. like it's it's talking about the sword of truth coming from his mouth because that's the way you never in the Bible hear about Jesus picking up a sword and that's how he conquered something. Yeah. He, it's always through the words he used. Which makes sense because this is the city where Satan lives. Mm -hmm. How does Satan rule and reign and operate through lies? Yeah. How are these lies manifesting in mm -hmm. this city through the sword of Rome? It's like, which sword do you fear? Yeah. Which one do you respect in that yeah, moment? Yeah, like which one do you respect more? Do you respect the sword yeah. of Rome, which, which is like, yeah, it, can, it can take your life, mm -hmm. or do you respect the sword of God, which is not only that can, like, it's, it actually, like, you know, Hebrews 4, it's the word of God, alive yeah. and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Yep. So it's like, like, that's kind of where we have to get to. It's like, how, how do I, like, get God to meet my needs? You, 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 the way you get God, the way you trust that God can meet your needs is that you elevate the sword of God, this mm. Jesus, like the sword of Jesus, his word, his truth. You elevate his truth above the lies that you hear. 
And that's what we see. Like we see his truth yeah. at the end of this passage in that, in like verse 17, right? Mm-hmm. Like where it says, I will give some of you, this is his truth. This is yep. like from him. I will give some of them hidden manna. Mm-hmm. I will also give them a white stone. And on the stone, I'll give them a new name inscribed on it that no one knows except for the one who receives it. Yeah, so we, we're starting to fear the truth of Jesus, but we don't have to fear because these are the promises he's given us. Yes, okay. like, we can like, res- like we can look at these promises and in yeah. light of them, trust, right? Mm-hmm. So these are all symbols, okay. right? Revelation, big symbol book, right? He's big symbol guy, John is. And so like... When you see these things, you have to weigh them, right? What are they talking about? So let's, let's break that first mm-hmm. one down, okay? Hidden manna. I'll give them the hidden manna, right? Yep. All right, now all of our VBS people in the room, right? We remember manna from the Old Testament, right? Exodus um, and Numbers, the people of God are traveling in the wilderness. Uh, they've just left Egypt. The only way they're finding food is every day they're waking up and manna is on the ground. It's this bread that they can eat, Okay. But they only get enough for that day, and they're only supposed to take enough for that day. And if they take more than enough for that day, it rots. What's the point? The point is I will provide enough for you in this moment. Mm-hmm. So when he says I'll give you the hidden manna, he's not saying you're going to wake up and bread's going to be on your doorstep, right? He's you saying, wish. yeah, right? He's saying I'm going I'm to provide for you. That's the point there. Like I'm going to provide for yeah, you. Yeah, so you can trust in that. Exactly. You don't need to turn to other gods. You can just trust that he will provide. And He's going to be the one that's going to provide what you truly need and long for. Mm-hmm. Like, he can do that. But he also gives two other ones. Yeah, so the, the second and third ones are a white stone and then a new name written on the white stone. And this is where it gets really good. Um, so these are basically two ways of saying the exact same thing. So it's God's promise of intimacy with us. And I feel like... Intimacy is a word that, in general, we, you mentioned it earlier, it's, we've sexualized it. And so I think what it boils down to, if you take that, that part out of it, is just God promising a private com- conversation and connection, mm. exclusive knowledge between him and us. Mm. Um, so I also was doing some research, and I was trying to figure out why it was a white stone, like why, why that mattered. And there's actually two reasons it does matter and why it is important. So the white stone in Pergamum, because it was a capital, um, and they were able to per, like do corporal punishment and held, held a lot of big trials. Um, so if you were found guilty of a crime you committed, you were given a black stone. And when you were found not guilty, it, you were given a white stone. So basically, this is God's way of saying that we were not guilty and that we haven't outsinned our relationship mm. with him. So it's kind of saying, like, even though... We, we do deserve to be guilty. He's given us, he's acquitted us. Yeah. Um, and then another reason why it's important is because white stones um, back in that day were also a invitation and a ticket into feasts and festivals that you were talking about earlier. Yeah. So it was basically telling them with this white stone that they are invited and welcomed. Um, so like that's the promise. Yeah. Mm-hmm is a promise of like relational intimacy. Like you can have this, you have an outstanding this relationship, yeah, yep. you're still invited into it, which makes sense. And that name on it. Yeah, with the name thing, because yeah. like in the ancient, like in this, in the ancient world, your name was not just what people called you, it identified you. It was, it was what you were associated with, right? Mm-hmm. Which is why so often when God meets people throughout scripture, he renames them. And these, these new names are based upon their new purpose. So Abram, mm-hmm. he renames to Abraham, the father of many nations. That's yeah. what that means. Um, Jacob, he renames to, that, which means deceiver, he renames to Israel, which means God fights or God's with us, right? 
Um, Simon, he renames to Peter, which means rock, right? Um, Saul, he renames to Paul. It's interesting. There's one part in the moment in the Bible where someone renames themselves, mm-hmm. and it's the only place in Scripture where there's a negative name given to somebody on top of their original name, yeah. and it's given from themselves. Every time God gives a new name, he gives a positive name, yeah. right? It's like, it's Naomi, changed her name to Mara, which means bitter, which is interesting because, again, this idea, I'm going to give you a new name. Yeah. He's saying, I'm going to give you a brand new identity. That's the promise. Like, okay, how do I stop, like, you know, how do I stop, like, looking to this or that to meet this need? Like, you've got to remember who God has said you are. Mm-hmm. Like, the enemy, the deceiver, he wants to tell you, no, that's who you are. You're an addict. Yeah, so like, like when you she don't called change. herself Mara, yeah. which means bitter, he refused to call her by that name. He called her by her God-given name. Which is, gr- yeah. yeah, like sometimes we look at ourselves and call ourselves things God would never call us. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm a failure. Really? Because if you're in Christ, you're the righteousness of God. Oh, like, I, I'm just like always going to screw up. Really? Because Jesus says you're blameless because of him. Mm-hmm. You've got to rehearse your future. You might not be blameless right now. You might not be squeaky clean right now. But there will be a day when every single bit of your sin will be wiped away. That's already started right now with the cross. It's going to come to fruition in the final day. Rehearse your future now. Like stop living today who you're not going to be tomorrow. Live into the identity that Jesus has given you. And that's what he's telling them in Pergamum. Like, stop. Yeah. Like, like, listen, I'm giving you a brand new name. Like, that's what his promises are. Yeah, it's, that is his promise. And it's the intimacy through that new name. Because yeah. in the verses it was talking about how that's a name that only you and him know. Mm. So it's, it's, he's promising us that intimacy with him. Which and, is the great thing about God. Yeah. Is that he's the God to every single person in this world. Mm-hmm. He wants a relationship with every single person. Yep. But it's personal to mm-hmm. us. So, like, lean into that personal aspect. Like, how do I connect? Yeah. How do I really, like, know him? Yeah. So, experiencing intimacy. We've, we've talked about this so many times tonight. But I feel like, seriously, when you think of the word intimate, like, never is it, or at least for me, it's never not, like, a sexual connotation. And it's not, that's not what it is. So, like, when you, when you think of intimacy, Chris alluded to it earlier, but it's being fully known and fully loved. So I feel like in a marriage example, I feel like the things that are intimate are not just like what happens at night when you're in the bedroom. It's also like brushing your teeth together. It's also going on long car rides together. It's honestly getting in fights and then like working mm-hmm. through those and knowing the person even better. So it's like all those little things. Like the common denominator yeah, together. It's just being with that yeah. person. So I feel like how are we going to have intimacy with God if we're not with him? So I feel like even even in preparing this message with you, I feel like in the past I would have just read this letter and like picked out the things that apply to me. But like I feel like the, the intimacy I found in this letter and how it applies to me in my personal life, like I had to be with God and like have a lot of conversations with him and prepare for this message in order mm-hmm. to like have intimacy with him and feel prepared to to have this message and like to do it. Yeah. So it's it's all about trusting mm-hmm. like that quote you said earlier. Like, sin is just believing that God wants something other than your deepest happiness. That God doesn't want you at the end of the day to be deeply happy, to have actual joy. When you don't believe that, you'll run to something else to find joy. So I'm going to invite Garrett back up as we kind of land the plane here. 
And I want to go back to what we said at the beginning about this idea of like a closed door. For me, the reason I don't close the door in my life, and it's not like, oh, I had times when I didn't close the door. Like to this day, like I don't close the door of pride in my life a lot. I don't close the door of like um, control in my life so often. Why is that? I I think that like with a closed door, you always see a closed opportunity. It's always like a negative thing. Yeah. You see a closed door. That's, exactly. It's right. Like think about like at your office, right? Like how many of y'all, any of y'all have like an office like at a workplace with a door? Anybody have those? Or does everybody work from home in this One room? Person right. Okay, cool. Two. So think about this. Like I am a huge extrovert. Yeah. I, it's a surprise. I know. Um, and I, if I want to get work done, I've got to shut my door. Yeah. But I don't want to shut my door. I'm going to tell you, there is, there is fun that is happening in the hallways. Mm-hmm. And Donuts. whether whether it's yeah. whether it's Bree, like, running around doing something crazy, or Frank, our finance guy, if you haven't met him, you need to meet him, like, rolling around on a chair, singing September. Like, if I shut my door, I'm going to miss something. But if I shut it, I'm actually going to gain something. I'm going to gain some privacy. I'm going to gain some time to work. I also think about, like, my daughter. So tonight... Um, you guys notice I get here like right at eight on, on Monday nights because I, I help put my, my kids to bed. And um, my two-year-old, she she's always been a great sleeper, but she's in this like phase where <laughs> she just like bargains before bed now. Like once we can get her in there, she's good. Like she zonks, right? But to get her in there is an absolute war. And like, so the other night we we're trying to get her to go to bed. And she's bargaining. She's like, one more prayer. And like, oh, that's so cute. Like, she, no, she's not trying to follow Jesus more faithfully. She's trying to be a little sinner and skip bedtime, okay? She's using Jesus for her own advantage. Come on, I'm preaching now. Um, <laughs> anyways, and so the other night, back on track, she wanted us to leave the door open. It's like, I'm going to be scared. And I'm like, Rosie, you're not going to be scared. You have a nightlight and it makes your room basically as bright as day. Like, you're not going to be afraid. You know, I need my door open in case I need you. I'm like, Rosie, I've got a camera right here. I paid like $100 for it. Just talk to it. You can find me. So, you know, like, what is she trying to do? She's trying to get something by keeping that door open. Because as soon as the door closes, she sees that as a closed opportunity. She wants to be with mommy and dad. She wants to play with them. She wants to interact with them, yada, yada, yada. Here's what I know. If that door stays open, she's not going to sleep. And if she doesn't sleep, she's not going to be able to play with mommy and daddy the next morning because she's going to be tired. She doesn't get that if I close that door, it's actually going to be to her benefit because it opens her up to a different opportunity, and that's to get some rest. Yeah, it's removing those distractions. Exactly. And, like, that is what God is trying to do for us. He's saying, close this door. If you will close this door, yes, you're going to miss out on some stuff. You're going to miss out on some instant gratification. Yes. You're going to miss out on some instant pleasure. Yes. You're going to miss out on stuff, but you're going to gain something better. Because you're going to rid yourself of those distractions. And you're going to gain intimacy with me. So, as we enter into this two minutes of silence, where we just take a couple minutes every week, pause, nothing else, no music, just pause and listen to God. Here's a question to reflect. Where do you need to shut the door? Where are you looking outside of God to meet a need that only God can meet? Where's the door cracked? Where's it wide open? You know what needs to be shut. I know what needs to be shut in my life. 
What door do you need to shut? Let's pray.